hi, my name's Rachel and I am the volunteer manager at the Birth Trauma Association. Hello and welcome to the podcast that shares the remarkable stories of the families who had babies during the middle of a global pandemic. I'm Philippa Gue and this week we're exploring the topic of navigating a second pregnancy after birth trauma. Rachel, it's my absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. This is such an important topic, especially for the many women that listen to this podcast, lots of which are navigating their second pregnancies after having their first babies in lockdown, which, as we know, was really difficult for many, or who want to have second pregnancies, but just feel so terrified really of of what that might look like for them. So we'll get into all of that stuff. But first, just tell me a little bit about the Birth Trauma Association and about the specific work that you do with them. Oh, thank you so much. We're a really small charity and we're mostly staffed by volunteers, pretty much all of whom found us due to their own experiences and have gone on to really want to help other people who've endured their own dreadful trauma after giving birth. Now we were founded in 2004 and we support women birthing people and their partners who've been traumatised by childbirth. But that's not all we do, we work with policymakers and this is on issues relating to maternity care and we're also a campaigning charity. We try and campaign for better policies on birth and maternity. So we're pretty busy at the moment because we've seen the need for our services grow absolutely exponentially since Covid. I think we have a private Facebook group for women and their partners and anyone who's been impacted by birth trauma. And we have nearly 14,500 members in there, I think. So this isn't something that is a small problem. This is absolutely massive across birth and maternity itself. Before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of everything, I wonder if it's helpful to, if you can, define the differences between you know a difficult birth obviously it's never going to be easy even if all goes plain sailing it's it's always hard both physically and mentally and that kind of transition into motherhood is 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 always going to be difficult to some extent but what's the difference between a difficult birth and a difficult time and then birth trauma there isn't really any one single definition of trauma. We work solely on the principle that if that individual found it traumatic, then it's birth trauma. We'd never play trauma top trumps. It's really important to respect that each individual has their perception of their own experience. Now, what we do know is that some people come to us with the most horrendous stories. You know, they have no baby and no uterus. And their trauma is equally as valid and as real to them as the person whose birth plan didn't go the way they wanted it to. And they didn't get the newborn photographs that they were hoping for because they dreamed of having those photographs all their life. There is no demeaning or deriding or diminishing anyone else's trauma. We're here to validate and support anybody who finds their birth traumatic. I think it's really important to note in some respects, and this is where healthcare professionals sometimes struggle, the difference between the baby blues, which a lot of people go on to experience, versus trauma response. Because recognising trauma response is so important because the treatments are completely different for them. So if somebody comes to you and they are reliving the birth experience, they're 
practicing avoidance. So they might be avoiding things that remind them of their birth experience. They're having flashbacks. They're having real low feelings around their birth experience. You could be more inclined to view that as birth trauma than postnatal depression, which is so often the case that post-traumatic stress disorder gets written off in some ways as PND, postnatal depression. So raising awareness is absolutely the way forward because the more healthcare professionals are informed about birth trauma, the better the outcomes will be. Do you know, that is such an important sentiment because, you know, you do all the baby classes before you're about to have a baby. And, you know, one of the, the sessions is about postnatal depression and maybe, maybe postnatal anxiety. But PTSD was never mentioned to me in my pregnancy. I never in a million years thought that after I had my baby, I'd face a diagnosis of, of PTSD. It just, it didn't occur to me. I think this image that you know, only veterans suffer PTSD or people who've, you know, been in war zones. That's not the case. And nobody ever goes into childbirth expecting it to be the absolute best day of their life, but also the very worst. You know, we don't anticipate that we're going to sometimes come out with life-changing injuries to your body or your psychology. But that isn't, it's not to say that everything that goes wrong during childbirth necessarily results in birth trauma or PTSD. I think there are so many factors that can help us advocating for ourselves as well that negate, you know, people can walk into hospital, have a dreadful experience, but walk out feeling supported and nurtured. Other people can have what they would define as a less dramatic experience, but come out with the most appalling trauma. So a lot of it is down to our own responses or the care that we receive. Obviously, as you know, this podcast focuses on, you know, lockdown babies, babies that were born in the pandemic, uh, people that had babies in the pandemic. How has your work shifted over the last two and a bit years since since the start of the pandemic and, and in how you, you help and in the work that you do in this field? Truthfully, what we do is still very much along the same lines. We We can't cure people we can walk alongside them though and support them in their journey towards healing we have an incredible team of peer supporters all of whom have been through their own or their partner's traumatic birth experience and they're there to support people by email or by telephone and they provide a listening ear advice empathy and signposting and support we continue to have our facebook group we have a wonderful um, volunteer called Zell who runs a fortnightly Zoom support group. And basically, we just try and signpost people or help them find the route towards their own personal healing. The only thing that lockdown has done is really increase the work that we're doing massively, which is so tragic for the poor people who are contacting us. You hear anecdotally through, you know, mum friends, people that you speak to, people that listen to this podcast about, you know, there must be an increase in the number of people who who are experiencing trauma, birth trauma, because of everything that, that the pandemic brought with it. You kind of hear that anecdotally, but to hear you say that more and more people have been getting in touch with you is quite powerful. And, and it really proves, doesn't it, that the pandemic has played a big part 
I believe we'll be seeing the ramifications on the pandemic, of, um, on people's mental health from the pandemic for many years to come. This might be a really difficult question to answer and I haven't given you a list of questions before so you, you haven't prepared an answer for this but in your opinion could some of this trauma have been avoided or mitigated or lessened if different restrictions and different rules had have been brought in? It's impossible for me to answer that I'm afraid because we were working with what we had at the time. Now I know the impact of birthing alone and the fear that people experienced whilst that was occurring. So it is absolutely plausible and possible that were different regulations in force and were people having cheese and wine parties in the hospital maternity units as opposed to giving birth alone, perhaps then the outcomes would have been massively different. Unfortunately, we will never know. But yes, I feel that if there had been more freedom around maternity units, then yes, that would have absolutely negated some trauma for some people. But it's unquantifiable, I'm afraid, for me. So many of us feel anger, frustration, feel a sense of being robbed. And I think that sort of adds to the to the trauma because you just feel so just angry about everything and 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 like it was unfair and why did that have to happen to me and why did I have to have a baby at the worst time possible you know in this pandemic and that's really not helped people people move on and I think you're so right when you say we'll see the ramifications of this for years to come because it's been two years since the the first lockdown over two years and we're still talking about it and we're not able to move forward and process it still and move on. How can anybody move forward from what is the most enormous day in their lives, giving birth to their baby? And that is something that you dream of for your entire life. And the whole reality of it is either birthing alone or birthing with phenomenal restrictions and feeling frightened. What should be a joyful experience has actually been terrifying and lonely. And you can understand why people feel anger and why people feel desperately sad and traumatised by that experience. Lots of my mums who listen are navigating second pregnancies. I know because I'm so, so lucky that that they tell me, they email me, they message me and, and tell me and it's just the biggest privilege to to know that news. Or lots of my mums want to navigate second pregnancies, which is probably the category that I fall into. I'd love to have another baby, but... I just feel that I can't do that again. And people say to you, oh, but things will be different this time around. We're not in a pandemic, but that doesn't really help. But what are some of the challenges that come with navigating a second pregnancy after birth trauma, you know, be it in a pandemic or not? The challenges are fear. You are gripped by anxiety that what happened before will happen again. And that can be fear of loss of control, fear for you and your baby, fear of being perhaps unkindly treated, fear of pain, all of which are incredibly valid. It's the fear of the unknown. And I think it's imperative that anybody who's planning on a second pregnancy knows that they have certain rights about how they give birth a second time. I think it's really important, though, if people have the chance to process their first birth emotionally and psychologically 
prior to their second pregnancy. In an ideal world, that's what everybody would be doing. They would be going, getting perhaps some talking therapy. There are two main therapies that work where trauma is concerned. The first is trauma-focused CBT. So it's high intensity and it essentially involves you repeating what happened to you and stopping on hotspots, the ones that really send your anxiety spiraling. And you process them until they become essentially boring, I suppose, to you. And you learn to process them like that. The second is EMDR. Now, I'm not familiar with EMDR because I didn't have it, but people absolutely swear by it. And so really, either of those therapies, you can either self-refer via your local Improving Access to Psychological Therapies website, you can Google that, or you can get your GP or mental health care professional to refer you for some talking therapy. And they really do help people put to bed, if you like, their feelings about the anxiety. You will never, ever look back on it nostalgically, you know, with a a happy memory, but you will not feel the abject panic that is associated with it if you have those therapies. Another really great way of processing birth trauma is to ask for a birth debrief if you haven't already had one. Now, this is when you go and you speak to either a midwife or a senior member of the hospital staff, and they go through your birth notes with you line by line, explaining why the decisions were made, what was done and why. And this helps you understand more about why your birth was traumatic. And a birth debrief is also a really good opportunity where you can explore the future pregnancy you're planning or ask about the risks of similar problems arriving, arising next time. Now, moving on from that, I suppose it's a really good idea. You could ask for a preconception meeting. It's essentially, where you can meet with a healthcare professional, midwife, consultant, GP. Really, it's better to go to your maternity unit though. And you can ask how you can avoid having a second traumatic birth and how they're prepared to help you avoid this. Now, simple things, the smallest things can help you avoid birth trauma. Make sure your pain is taken seriously and you get pain relief when you ask for it and when you want it. Even just those small things are so incredibly important. If it was an instrumental birth that created your trauma, perhaps it was forceps or whatever it was that was traumatic the previous time, get them to make a record on your notes that you've had a previous traumatic birth and get everyone who deals with you to bear that in mind. I don't know if this is any use to your listeners, but the BTA have a new venture and it was because, because of my own PTSD, I was having a gynae procedure done and it was not something I had anticipated having done. They said to me, we need to take an endometrial biopsy. And I'd just gone along to an appointment without any idea that anything was going to be done to me. So going to the hospital where I had my traumatic birth is always anxiety causing, but to be blindsided by this idea that hop up on that trolley, you're going to have a procedure, sent my anxiety through the roof. And I don't know if you've ever seen a tenaculum, but they are, they're not nice. They're essentially instruments of torture in my head, but they're a very 
um, sharp pair of forceps that they attach to your cervix. And as that was done to me, the nurse chaperone, I must have jumped. And the nurse chaperone was clearly at the end of her very long working day and a bit, oh, you know, get over yourself, stop being a drama queen. And said to me, she looked a little bit exasperated and said to me, you need to calm down. I've been with people in a colposcopy clinic all morning and they've handled this, their proper procedures much more effectively and easily than you're making such a massive fuss about this. Take a deep breath and calm down. Now, I wanted to say to her, listen, I've got PTSD. I was just mute and panic stricken at this point. And I wanted to explain to her, I've got PTSD. I'm having a painful procedure done with no pain relief whatsoever. And I couldn't find the words because it was too much. I'd lost my power of speech at this point. So I thought if I'd have had a wristband on that I could brandish at her to say, help PTSD or use trauma-informed care, previous trauma experience, that would have been a massive help. So we went back to the BTA and we designed one and now are selling one, which says a directive to healthcare professionals. It's a red silicone wristband that you can wear at your hospital appointments, at your scans, at your treatments, even giving birth. And it points out in clear, large white letters, use trauma-informed care. And it is a directive to all healthcare professionals. If they don't see it, you can wave your wrist at them and start that conversation. So I think that would hopefully be a small way of empowering people and saying, I need you to work collaboratively with me and possibly give me a little more time. And essentially, there is so much that you can do. You can have a planned caesarean. A lot of people prefer this as a means of remaining in control. You are entitled to do this. If a hospital says no, refer them to the NICE guidelines. They cannot refuse you the planned caesarean. Again, you have a right to a home birth if that's what you want. Some people feel that puts them more in control. Alternatively, you can choose to give birth at a different hospital. If you've got really difficult memories associated with that particular place, you have no obligation to return to there. And so you can choose to have your next baby at a different hospital. So there is so much that you can do. This is also before you've taken into account any, any mindfulness that you can practice. All of the stuff that you can do to retain autonomy, hypnobirthing, um, mindfulness, yoga, all of these things allow you to empower yourself and feel in control. And I think the sense of being out of control and being just a birthing vessel is terribly traumatic for so many people. Wow, honestly, Rachel, thank you so much for for that extensive list. Some of the things that I didn't know about the band just sounds amazing because, you know, one of the biggest things I don't know if other people will relate to this, hopefully, so I don't sound totally bonkers. But one of the biggest things that terrifies me about getting pregnant again is going to my first, the booking appointment, you know, the first time you see the midwife and kind of saying to them, you know, I've had this traumatic experience and and almost having to explain everything again, relive it all and then to be dismissed. And then of course you see a different midwife every time who has the same midwife throughout their care, unless you're paying for one, frankly, you don't. And that thought of having to explain everything time and time again, and then the, the worry of maybe getting a, a bit of a strict midwife who, similarly to the experience that you explained in your procedure, who just 
didn't want to hear it didn't have the time of day tells you to sort of man up and that just to maybe be able to flash that wristband feels like it would just take so much of the pressure off and so much weight off so that straight away they can you know think about how they they speak to you and how they treat you that just sounds like such a brilliant idea I, I need one Oh, well, we will make sure you get one. <laughs> I think it's it's a shame that it's required at all because trauma-informed care should be embedded in every aspect of your hospital visit. It should be from the moment you walk in and the receptionist glances at your notes and says, oh, you know, um, you're here for repeated miscarriage. Don't go down that corridor. That's the antenatal clinic. You know, you need to go into this waiting room. And I think it should be embedded in every aspect of healthcare but we all know how grossly underfunded and overstretched the NHS is at the moment. And so staff are just mostly doing their best. So if we have this little tool in our armory that we can show them to say, bear with me, you know, I'm, I'm trying here, that would hopefully be of benefit. Now, it's not going to be for everyone. Some people might not want to be, you know, look down at their wrist and be reminded that they have experienced trauma every time they see the red band. But personally, it's I've worn it to a few appointments and it's worked for me. So hopefully it will for a lot of people. We know that the NHS is is on its knees specifically around maternity care and the question you know, it's a it's a it's a huge wider issue, but where has this lack of empathy or this lack of kindness I suppose because often on the podcast that is such a big theme it's that it's the way somebody spoke to me or it's the some the way somebody snapped at me it makes or breaks your experience and I just wonder where have we lost this along the way isn't it sad I remember having birthed my twins I was interesting um so there were lots of medical students walking in and out of my room talking to me bearing in mind I've been you know, to the most horrendous experience, I won't elaborate, but it was very, very difficult. And I didn't know at that point in my postnatal journey that I was entitled to actually say no when a medical student knocked on my door and said, hi, can I just talk to you about your birth? And so I actually asked a midwife, do you mind me asking, do they always come, you know, in, in droves like this? And this midwife turned to me and bit. And I think she maybe thought she was being funny. But what she actually said was, don't go thinking you're anything special. We see bigger eruptions than you had. And that immediately made me feel like I was being dramatic. And the sad thing is, I know of one of the bigger eruptions that she was referring to. It happened a few weeks after mine arrived. And her babies died. Her twins died. So it kind of felt like, am I not allowed to feel anything because I'm here and my babies are here. I'm, I'm not allowed to feel as though my trauma is valid. And that comment was a very flippant throwaway remark from her. Now, my twins are nine and I can still feel my stomach drop when I remember how I felt as she bit back at me with what was an off-the-cuff remark to her. And I think these people don't realise and don't understand the implications of a simple comment, a simple throwaway remark can actually embed trauma in somebody who's already feeling scared or vulnerable. And that can be a lasting issue for these people moving on. Just to think that after nine years, you still remember that comment. But unfortunately, the lady who said it to you, she she probably never thought about that comment again. It's probably never crossed her mind. And I just wonder whether 
it's it's all just that compassion's just been lost along the way and I guess it is because of these wider issues that that we talk about and look it's a whole other discussion about you know how do we fix these issues how do we you know train staff to you know speak to us more kindly um but one of the themes that comes up a lot on the podcast is around advocacy self-advocacy advocating for yourself that feeling of looking back and thinking I wish I'd said more I wish I'd spoken up I wish I'd said please don't do that or no I don't want you to do that to me and I think that was heightened in the pandemic because so many of us were on our own for hours at a time without another person who might have been able to step in and say hold on a second can we just take a second here whereas when you've just had a baby you know you're left shaking in a bed you just whatever you just say yes um you don't have it in you to fight and it's only months weeks down the line when you look back and you think god I wish I'd said something so if people are looking to navigate second pregnancies or getting into a place where they're starting to think about it how can we learn how to advocate for ourselves better I would go so far as to say at the stage I'm at now I would take a I wouldn't hesitate in doing something like taking a whiteboard in with me and writing what must, you know, must never happen. I want, because then you don't have to explain it to everybody. I specifically said no students to be involved in my postnatal care because we'd had a long journey to have the twins. I'd had a lot of procedures and I just wanted it to be smooth. But when I looked up and saw the same midwife who said to me, don't think you're anything special, say, oh, this is, pluck a name out of the air, Sandra. Sandra's going to be removing your stitches and Sandra was a student nurse. I didn't feel able to say, I don't want that. So I want everybody to understand that their voice is important. Their voice matters and their voice has to be heard. No one can do anything to you without your consent, unless you are not able to provide that consent. Now, I think informed consent plays a massive part in reducing trauma response. And it's staggering that we have so many women and birthing coming out of hospital now deeply traumatised because of these triggers that often people don't know. Perhaps you've got a, a victim of abuse and the male doctor put his face close to the patient and without realising that was a trigger. That's not his fault, but perhaps trauma-informed care would mean I will not do that to a woman, you know, or somebody, anybody, because I might frighten them. It's, it is a minefield and I do feel for the healthcare professionals, but kindness, empathy and the absolute basics seem to have gone out of the window for a lot of places and people. And I think it's really imperative that you, as the patient, make your voice heard. And if that means taking in your wristband, saying, speak to me, I am suffering from the impact of trauma, and taking in a whiteboard that you have next to your bed if you're about to go and give birth, that says, no students, perhaps you, no forceps, no interventions. And if you have to spell those out in Sharpie marker, then you do that. Advocacy is a massive, massive tool in reducing trauma. If it's financially viable, an amazing advocate for you is a doula or a birthing partner. I, anything more enough about them. And I've 
spoken to a number of doulas who volunteer with the Birth Trauma Association and they are incredible and they are there specifically to advocate and smooth the way for the birthing person, the mother. And so I would really say, have your list of criteria. If you can take somebody with you to advocate along with you, knowing what your wants and wishes are, do so. But otherwise, write them down and make sure they are clearly visible. And that way, if anything is done to you, it's done without your consent. Because if it is written down, I do not want this, and you still have the capacity to advocate for yourself, you do not consent to it. They are amazing tips. I'm loving the whiteboard thing. Definitely going to do that if 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 I ever have another baby. I think one of the the biggest problems with specifically around the pandemic was that so many of us had prepared for a birth with a, a birth partner with our partners who were going to be the person that would advocate for us and you know we my husband and I we'd done you know, hypnobirthing and he was going to advocate for me and be the kind of keeper of my safe space. But ultimately the the rug was pulled from under us and, and he wasn't there for much of it. So I kind of lost that person and I hadn't learned how to do my own advocacy or basically just didn't have the energy or the, the will in me at that moment in time. And I think that's one of the biggest things that has left an imprint on mothers who had babies during the pandemic and I guess so many are worried about you know could this happen again could more restrictions be brought in and I I know you're not in a position to answer those questions we don't have a crystal ball we can't look into the future we can't ever say for sure that those restrictions will never be brought back in again but how do we navigate that fear of is this going to happen again? I don't think that we can control what happens in the future but we can certainly control or try to our response to it now I think that personally if restrictions come back into force they will be very very different now I think that having seen what was going on in certain places in London whilst the rest of us were locked down I think there would be massive challenges in any attempt to create a national lockdown in future But there is no crystal ball, as you say. I would absolutely, firstly, you said you hadn't the voice to advocate for yourself. I think it comes back, how could you? You hadn't considered the need. You hadn't considered that this might even be a possibility. You were in pain. You were laboring. You were frightened. How could you have contemplated the need to advocate for yourself? But what I would say If restrictions do come into place, people should consider the need that this is what they might have to do. And by arming yourself with your list of do's and don'ts, you can have it in writing and you can say, in the event of, this is what I want. And I think about if you haven't got the presence of mind to do that whilst you're in labour, I mean, who would? It's there in black and white to be seen and not to be ignored. And really, I would hope with every fibre in my being that we don't face any more restrictions like that. There is no guarantee, I know. But I would say arm yourself with the advocacy tools, such as the trauma-informed care wristband, such as the written list of do's and don'ts. And that way, 
you have a small means of empowering yourself. One of the other worries that I've heard from mums who maybe want to navigate a second pregnancy or are navigating a second pregnancy is that as much as they you know, hope that special allowances might be made for them, that they might, you know, just we talked about some of the small things like maybe um, having access to a private room or maybe having access to the same midwife or, or a couple of midwives throughout your pregnancy or, you know, having access to counselling. Some of these things, like, of course, they they sound like wonderful tools to help us navigate the second pregnancy. But one of my fears and one of the fears that I hear from from my listeners is is around what if there just aren't the services to give me that and to give me the care that I need and to make sure I see the same midwife and to give me a private room because I'm not the only one unfortunately that was left traumatized from having a baby in the pandemic there's going to be so many of us that are asking for those extra and special requests I just worry that there won't be space for mine you know I agree entirely. I mean, we can make plans, never arrangements, and it's very, very difficult. So I would say all you can do is go in there and speak to the head of midwifery and say, this is what I want, and have it set out. And perhaps it would work out if in the event that it doesn't, have a backup list. Do things that would literally provide you with the next best option. You know, I might not have the same midwife twice, but I would ask you to add this addendum to my notes so that I don't have to explain myself to the new midwife. And there are very small measures that you can take control of. I think knowledge is power and control helps you massively in negating trauma response and trauma after effects. And by taking autonomy over even just the smallest amounts of your treatment, such as I want this in bright red, even if you have to do it yourself, type out your wants, needs, wishes, history, put it in huge, bold red font and say, put that in my folder, please, and watch them stick it in there. Then that is some means of advocating for yourself and hopefully negating the need. But I'm unable to say it will be all right for everybody because I only wish that it would and that it could and say that everybody would get everything they wanted and requested. It's never going to happen like that. So we need to just have the next best thing in place as best we can. We talked at the beginning a bit about the lasting impact of the pandemic and how those of us who had babies in the pandemic you know, continue to be affected, what do you believe are the lasting impacts? Um, I mean, basically, massive amounts of trauma in people who gave birth during the pandemic. Sense of loss, grieving, the experience they'd hoped for, fear, which is horrendous, and guilt. Some people feel terrible guilt associated with not being able to, as you say, advocate for themselves, say what they wanted, speak up, There is no getting around that. It's a long and lasting impact. But unfortunately, we will be dealing with this impact for a long time. And these poor people who went in to their pregnancies with such great hope and expectations, you know, were essentially robbed of that by the pandemic. I think what I can say, and this is not through birthing in a pandemic, but as somebody who went on 
to experience massive psychological and physical issues having experienced my own traumatic birth, that it does absolutely get better and recovery is possible. But one ramification of birth trauma is that people frequently don't go on to have a second baby. And we forget that that is a huge impact and result of the initial traumatic birth. I mean, it was never an option for me, unfortunately. For a long time, I was desperate to have another baby because I wanted to, in quotes, do it right. It was never plausible, feasible or possible. But for many people during the pandemic, it is now something that they would love to consider. And I think if we hopefully can get enough people going through the debriefs, going through the trauma therapy services, they may just be able to move beyond that enough to have the family they always dreamed of. I do wonder, you know, outside of all those things that you just touched upon, what the wider ramifications are, you know, in terms of our economy. I've spoke to several mums who who quit their jobs because of their birth trauma, people dropping out of the workforce, people not having second children. What will our classrooms look like in five years when our children start school? Will they be empty in a way? And I, I don't know, I might, this is just me totally hypothesizing, but you just sort of wonder, don't you, are our children going to be the the siblingless generation? It's impossible to say, but I do know that we saw an awful social impact on children that were born during the pandemic. I mean, it's not something I have a vast amount of knowledge on, but I've heard that children are unable to read social circumstances, interpret body language. They were only used to seeing people's eyes. So they struggled with unspoken gestures. And, you know, these all are issues that will need to be got beyond. And it will take an awful lot of skilled educators and time and social interventions to help this generation of children overcome what their early years and beginning entrance to the world was because it wasn't typical. Just one final question if that's okay. Um, How do we rebuild our trust both in our healthcare system and in our government? I think we especially you know mums and new parents feeling let down by our government. I think it's really difficult to to move past everything because we're really peed off, to be honest. And I just wonder how we, how do we rebuild trust in our healthcare system? How do you rebuild trust enough in our government that these issues will be a priority? I'm absolutely the wrong person to ask about the government because I, I despise the Tory government and I think they let us all down phenomenally and they continue to do so. And it's something that I'm absolutely passionate about, that I think we need a general election immediately. And they do not deserve to be in power whatsoever. So until they are out and the cronyism stops and the billions of pounds stops being wasted and burned and given contracts to various people, I don't think there's a way out of that. In terms of healthcare, until the NHS receives more funding, We just have to manage with what we've got. And our option is to insist upon trauma-informed care. Now, trauma-informed care, we need to know what it is. Trauma-informed care, as service users, as patients, we need to expect supportive, integrated and empowering care that works on safety, trust, choice, collaboration. And I come back to it once more, 
empowerment. Staff who are working in the hospitals now need to recognise the presence of trauma. They need to learn to recognise the signs of trauma and then duly respond to the patient's needs and ensure that the care they deliver takes into account previous trauma and also is not re-traumatising. So it's a pretty tall order and it's going to be very challenging for patients and healthcare professionals alike. But the whole point is by working collaboratively, by sharing information and by going in there with, as the patient, your list of what I need and how I need you to treat me, the healthcare professional with an open mind and an awareness of trauma, an agreement and an acknowledgement that trauma needs to be at the forefront of all care offered before we even start, then hopefully we'll be able to move forward together. Yeah, I really, really hope so. I really hope you're right. And I really hope this issue is taken seriously and is given the funding is given the funding that it needs and is given the the airtime that it needs because yeah like we've said it's huge huge ramifications but thank you so so much for the work that you do with the birth trauma association and all the other amazing charities i know that you you know it's all kind of like a collaborative thing and you all work together in so many ways but just thank you for all the work you're doing it really helps and it doesn't go unnoticed. And thank you so much for sharing so many amazing tips. I know that I found lots of things very, very helpful. And I know that if I do ever get pregnant again, I'll be coming back and listening to this episode to see what I can do for myself. Um, and I hope it really helps some some other people listening as well. Thank you, Rachel. It's an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for all you're doing to help raise awareness as well. I think it's imperative that people know that there is somewhere to turn to. And with people like yourself sharing information about the options such as the Birth Trauma Association, we can hopefully help more people. A big thank you to Rachel. I really hope that was helpful to some of my mums who I know are battling with whether or not they want to have a second pregnancy after everything we went through during the pandemic. If you feel like you need support for birth trauma, I've linked to the Birth Trauma Association below and how to contact them. There's also a link to the wristbands that Rachel mentioned. If you want to get in touch with me, you can message me on Instagram. Just search Lockdown Babies Podcast. I'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Bye bye for now.